welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Excellent. We are in the midst of a series, as Tone said. It's called No Ordinary Family. It's just, we're going through the book of Ruth. And um, the story thus far, I'm going to get straight into it. I'm not going to make a whole bunch of comment um, because all of that good stuff is on MP3 or podcast or whatever. So make sure you, you, you catch up on anything you may have missed out in terms of this series. It will bless you, I, I guarantee it. But so the story so far is we, we caught up with a family who lived some 3,000 years ago in Judah, in Be- Judah in Bethlehem. And what happened is that that's, that particular part of the, the world was in famine at the time. And a man and his wife and their two boys decided to go to another part of the world called Moab, about 100 k's away, and try and make a living there. It turned out not to be a good decision because Elimelech, the father of the house, passed away very quickly when they reached that new land. So it left Naomi, his wife, and the two boys, Marlon and Kilion, alone in this strange land. Shortly thereafter, the two boys were married to two girls, Orpah and Ruth, and things went okay, I guess, for a period until about 10 years later on, both of those boys also died. And so we have three widows in a family. About that time, news comes from Judah that the famine has broken, that God has revisited the country and brought blessing. And so Naomi decides that she's going to head back. And as much as she tries to dissuade the two girls from following her, she's unable to dissuade Ruth. Orpah stays, but Ruth heads back to Bethlehem with her. They head back and they get there just as the barley harvest is about to start. And so we're going to pick up the... um, Ruth realises that she has a responsibility towards Naomi. She decides to head out because it's the barley harvest started to glean, to go into the fields, try and get some food so that they can survive. And she makes her way into the field of a man called Boaz. Last week we looked at this man Boaz, or sorry, two weeks ago, last time we looked at this series, we looked at this man Boaz. Tone spoke in the morning about how the fact he was a model for manhood. And in the evening, I spoke about the fact that he's a man who actually went above the law. He, didn't just, he wasn't just a law-abiding citizen. He saw the law and he raised it in the way that he related to people. And so we pick up our story this morning in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 17. I'm just going to read to you a couple of verses. Ruth chapter 2 verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten her fill. And I've subtitled this morning's message, Welfare and Work. I'm going to have a look at this topic of welfare and work this morning. And the first thing that I want to draw out is the fact that Ruth had a work ethic and not a welfare mentality. We see that in the first part of verse 17. It says, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. She was there all day. We see that early on in uh, verse 7, I think it is, of chapter 2, the, the, um, the head honcho in the field commented to Boaz that she got here in the morning and she's worked steadily right through apart from one small break. And so she had a work ethic. She knew what it was to work hard. And to be honest, she probably wasn't too different to most people living back then. Because back then, it was kind of like this. You don't work, you don't eat, you die. So most people had a fairly good work ethic. Um, or They at least did the basics in order to survive. However, today, we're living in an era of the welfare mentality. 
It's where people think that they are owed a living, irrespective of what they contribute to society. It's where people think that things are rights that are actually privileges. And we're living in this age, and again, I'm not against the haves helping the have-nots, not at all. But I do think that there are some biblical principles, and we're going to look at those in just a minute, that if we ignore as a society, we do so at our own peril. And so I want to have a look at this little term, gleaning. It says that Ruth went out and gleaned. And we've, we've kind of alluded to it before, but I want to just unpack it a little bit today. And in, it, it refers to gleaning in, cha- in Leviticus chapter 19 and verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read that to you. If you're really quick, you can turn your Bible there. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them from the poor and the alien or foreigner. I am the Lord. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 24 and 25, it says this. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. And so there's a couple of verses there which obviously are very much are very important in a time gone past, but I think there are some principles there that are important for us today. And I just want to quickly mention four. The first one is this, that we're expected to live with margin. We're expected to have something left over in our lives for others. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that we are expected to work for a living. That's the second thing. We're expected to work for a living. We're also expected by God to help one another. And also, fourthly, we're expected not to take advantage of the system. Okay, so you've got this situation where you've got fields, and basically you can do a pass through, you can get as much as you can, um, but whatever you miss the first time round, you leave it. If you drop anything, you leave it. Okay, it's there for the poor and the foreigners and the travellers, those that are passing through. Okay, so that's the principle. Something left over, um, a working of, of people that can come along and do something for themselves and actually glean that, that harvest that is left over there. Um, the fact that we're... Ex- actually called to help one another in, in actually leaving that um, produce there and not taking advantage of the system. Any person could walk through the field at any time. We see that Jesus and his disciples, remember they were walking through the field picking some grain? You could do that. If you were travelling, you could, you could wander through a field and pick some grain with your hand, not a problem. It becomes a problem when you begin to get a basket and start filling it up or if you get a sickle and start you know, taking someone else's harvest. But in terms of just having something as you go to live day to day, not a problem in this society, okay? But as long as you don't take advantage of the system. And so gleaning basically just reinforces the principle of rewards according to effort or price paid. So for those guys that, that, um, that bought the land or rented the land from someone, they had first dibs on the harvest, okay? They, they got the best and the easiest bit of the harvest, okay? They got to make their money off of the harvest and to live well off of the harvest, But God, who ultimately owns everything, because we're all just tenants here. And so God ordains that you don't get 100% of the harvest. You've got to leave some for those less fortunate than yourself. And so that portion is less profitable in any case. It was the piece along the edges. It was the piece in the corners. It was the piece that was probably more likely to be infested with weeds. It It was less profitable to harvest. It was harder to get hold of. And so 
that was left for those who would find it a great blessing to be able to get something rather than have nothing at all. So gleaning was a safety net in the culture and in the community, but it wasn't a handout. It was free, but you had to work for it. That's the principle. Rewards according to the effort or the price paid. We're living in a world today, as I mentioned before, we're living in a welfare culture with there's a concept of handouts. And there's a problem with handouts. What I mean by handouts is things that are given freely with no expectation in return, with no responsibility attached. Okay, now bear with me. Okay, if, if, you, if you're getting a little bit nervous about where I'm heading because maybe you're unemployed or whatever, just keep, keep listening. Because I'm not having a shot. I'm just trying to bear out some principles here that we can all live by, whether we're employed, unemployed, disabled, disadvantaged, whatever. There are some principles here that I want us all to catch. Okay, so the problem with handouts is the first, first and foremost is that it creates a sense of entitlement. In other words, I am owed something. Irrespective of what I do by the fact that this world is graced with my presence, this world owes me. Now, I don't see that in Scripture. And the problem with that attitude is that attitude is bad enough in itself, but what it breeds is an attitude of ingratitude. In other words, you expect something, and when you get it, you don't appreciate it, and if you don't get it, you get angry. So that's one of the problems with handouts. The other problem, or another problem, is that it destroys a sense of self-worth. We are created to work. We are created to work in this system where we, we give and we get. Our sense of purpose, in many ways, and, and it doesn't, we can't totally um, live to work and find our total sense of purpose, but there is a sense in which we are created by God to work, and particularly for guys, if that, if that is taken away, that ability to work, men particularly take a massive hit because it's part of our purpose, part of our sense of significance is attached to our ability to provide and to protect our family. And finally, it destroys actually the will to work. You keep someone out of work long enough, it gets to the point where they don't want to work. It's like exercise. If you don't walk or you don't go to the gym or you don't ride a bike or whatever, you get to the point where you just don't want to do it. Whereas if you do do it, it's like self-perpetuating. You want to do it again. You get to that point of fitness and it becomes self-sustaining. And so people that are out of work ultimately get to the point where they don't want to work. And that's a problem in our society. Another problem is that it encourages people, and this is at best, but it encourages people to focus on what they can't do. When you live in a welfare society, people become focused on what they can't do in order to keep their benefits. So it might be they've got a a physical problem, it might be, but we focus on the negative. It's not about what we can do because I don't necessarily want to take a risk in case I lose my benefit and maybe won't get it back. So we focus on, that's at best, people begin to focus on what they can't do, what they're not able to do. At worst, people actually deliberately set out to rot the system. And ultimately, the problem is that it creates an unhealthy dependence upon the government usually, but certainly upon others that often doesn't just stop in one generation, but can get passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, where you get a generation of people who essentially are helpless and dependent upon the rest of the society to carry them. Now again, I'm not here to offend anyone, but that is a problem in our society. Interesting article just um, on the 8th of August, 2011 this year, by Nicholas Rothwell. It says this, it's, it's entitled, Call... From the heartland and the heart, welfare is deadly. And it's 
he's commenting on some comments made by an Aboriginal elder up in the north. He says, with this, so with his heartfelt plea for an end to welfare handouts in the remote Indigenous domain, Galloway Unipingu has thrown down the gauntlet. The northeast Arnhem Land clan leader is insisting that the entire political and bureaucratic, you know, bureaucratic class confront the failure of the passive welfare paradigm in remote Australia. He wants no more tinkering about the fringes of the vast network of social support projects now in place, but instead the abolition of welfare payments to his people. And for the simplest of reasons, it's a killer. He is contending that the welfare system itself encourages dependency, with consequences for the psychology of Aboriginal people as much as for the economics of their small-scale societies. Welfare is for Unipingu a state of mind and also a Western innovation. It's probably true. Welfare comes out of, uh, I guess, a Christian worldview that is humanised. We get, we get kind of the, the, the sentiment that comes with Christianity of looking after our brothers and sisters, but then we get a humanistic thing which thinks we can do better than God and imposes something else that becomes ultimately unhelpful. Uh, so yes, it's a... It's a uh, a Western innovation. Welfare saps the will to work and hence to learn. Welfare is controlled by outsiders and granted by government and so damages community cohesion and self-respect. Welfare can never generate the wealth needed to escape poverty. Welfare becomes a destination in itself. Now, an Aboriginal leader may have said that, but that problem is not unique to his people or his location. Alexander Downer wrote this just recently, and again, put your political persuasions aside, just listen to what he has to say, because he wrote this, along with many other commentators around the world during this time, just a few months ago, remember the riots in England, and many people commented and said, you know, this is what we've come to after 50 years of the, the most lavish welfare state on the planet, this is what we've got, we've got people hosing down their, we've got a nation hosing down its own with water cannons and rubber bullets. People have got more than they've ever had in many ways, and yet society is falling apart at the seams. Alexander Downer says this, It's fair, we say, to pay welfare to disadvantaged people. But honestly, this is a modern-day equivalent of the poorhouses of the 19th century. Generations of people are unemployed, bored, poorly educated, and barely literate, and our answer is to pay them checks. And that's it. That's a fair society. Yes, a bloke or woman borrows money, oh, sorry, yet a bloke or woman borrows money, sets up a shop, employs a couple of people, and we tax them until they squeal. Often they work 10 to 12 hours a day, and when they get home, they look after their kids. And when the kids go to bed, they do the paperwork to keep the government happy. They pay income tax, they pay rates, they pay a Medicare levy. Soon they'll pay for the carbon tax. Then pay levies, and if their, business grow, uh, if their business grows, and they end up paying a tax on employing people, the payroll tax. Nearly half of all they earn goes to the state and federal governments, and the lion's share of that tax goes to pay for our welfare system or our welfare culture. That's fair? Question mark. These people are the backbone of our society. Without them, society wouldn't work. They are decent, caring people. Whose children, we, uh, we, uh, sorry, whose children are fast asleep at 4am and 7am, sorry, and at 7am are getting ready for school. 
This is a system that isn't fair and it won't last. Last week, amid the riots, an indigenous leader, he's referring to the, comment I just, uh, the article I just read, made a great speech, a really great speech. Garraway, uh, your opinion, said the, West, the welfare culture was killing indigenous people. It had to end. Well, it's not just killing indigenous people, it's destroying generations of non-indigenous people as well. Like the poor houses of old, it's a kind thought, but it's a disaster. The thing is, it just keeps growing and it's dragging everyone down with it. The welfare, has, the welfare state has done its dash. It needs to be changed. I don't know if you saw those riots. I remember seeing a young girl and she, you know, she's being interviewed and, and just having been run rampant through London. And for her, it's all about getting free stuff. You know, we're making a statement against the rich. And I think, no, you, what you're doing is you're, you're just abusing someone's living. You know, some, just because some person owns a shop doesn't make them the rich, doesn't make them the upper class, doesn't make them the enemy. They're probably just hardworking people just trying to make get by, paying a mortgage, doing all the things that normal people do. And yet for some reason, here's a young lady who's grown up in a society which has no sense of obligation to a fellow person or people. She, has, she thinks she has the right to do what she likes. And then the problem is that the law isn't really equipped to even deal with those sort of people when they come before the courts. So that's, that's the welfare situation in a nutshell. That's what we are faced with if we adopt, if we, if we replace a, a work ethic which says, you know, we work to eat. That's the basic bottom line. What the Bible says with something else that we think is better. So I just want to quickly look, how does that apply to us today? What can we do? Because we're in the midst of this, this mess. But how can we as Christians, how can we as believers, how can we as responsible citizens begin to state, take, make a stand and take a step forward? And make a difference in our society. Well, the first thing is this, I think, is that we're in the world, but we're not of it. Let's not perpetuate an entitlement culture. Luke 17, verse 7 through to 10 says this Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to? You know the story, it's Jesus telling a parable. And he finishes by saying this So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We've just done our duty. And I don't know about you, but to me that's a tremendously grounding thing. I mean, I might do some stuff for God or I might think I'm a good guy because I help some people out. At the end of the day, it's the very least I am called to do. It gives me no brownie points. It is what I'm expected to do by my Heavenly Father. It doesn't give me any sense of entitlement or right. It's just this is what we're here for. We are here to live one, together with one another. Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? Well, from heaven came a resounding silent, yes. We are. We are called to live together. And we don't want to perpetuate an entitlement cut. We want to take responsibility for ourselves, ultimately. We need to realise the fact that we work is more important than what we do. You know, it's great when you can find job satisfaction, but many people are using job satisfaction as an excuse to do nothing. They try something, they don't like it, they give up, they go on the dole. Or they try something else, and they just try something else, they try something, and, and they just, just go from job to job to job, and don't become a blessing or a source of help to anybody. First and foremost, we're called to work. I don't know that gleaning was Ruth's first choice, but it was there to be done, it was a means to an end, and she did it, and it seems like she did it with a great attitude. And I don't think if we could adopt that attitude, I don't think we'd see too many unemployed people in this church or too many unemployed people in our society if we just had that 
understanding that working is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It enables us to feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, get a roof over our head, support a family, etc., etc., etc. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 simply says that if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Paul goes on to say, We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. Helping others, how can we help others to help themselves? Again, as Christians, we have a sense of obligation, I think. We have a sense of responsibility towards our fellow man, and that's good. But let's not perpetuate this, this entitlement, entitlement culture. Let's not perpetuate a welfare mentality by doing everything for everyone. Yeah. Let's set up scenarios where we can, where we build in responsibility. I mean, we might have, you know, for example, a person ring the church and say, oh, I need a bed. You know, come upon hard times, I need a bed. And again, if we can and if we deem it's appropriate, we're quite happy to source a bed and provide a bed. But again, I think it becomes a bit rich if the person says, oh, and you can just deliver it to this number. Now, again, that might be appropriate if the person doesn't have a car, etc. But it, you know, it must gall, gall you when you, you rock up at this place and you see they've got a trailer, they've got a car, they've got about 10 guys standing there. You know what I'm saying? No responsibility. Welfare mentality is not good. And we don't want to perpetuate that as a church. Let's help people out of our margins. We should be living with margins, as I've said before, but let's help people in that. There may be people that, that we know could do with a bit of extra cash. Well, what can we do out of our margin to help them? We could give them some money and perpetuate the welfare mentality, perpetuate that the world owes me something. Or maybe we've got some jobs around the place that we could ask them to help us with. Maybe it's ironing, maybe it's gardening, maybe it's washing the car or whatever it might be. But it's kind of like the gleaning principle in action in our modern culture. Parents and grandkids, how can we combat this welfare mentality in our society? Let's teach our kids responsibility. Let's teach them about cleaning their rooms. Don't just do everything for them, but make them do some things for themselves. Teach them some basic life skills. Prepare them to move out. You know, many people today are not coping as adults. And the reason is that they were too sheltered when they were growing up. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't learn to cook, didn't learn to clean, just didn't learn to do anything. And suddenly they might find themselves out of home and they realise that their boss just doesn't accept anything. They realise that people around them don't just accept anything. And suddenly they spiral into depression because it's just all too much. The weight of the world is, is bearing down on them. And it's, it's, it's not necessarily spiritual and it's not psychological it's not physiological it's just it's just they weren't prepared for life and I think that's the case for many people just overwhelmed by the challenge that suddenly hit them all at 20 years old or 25 or 30 years old it should never be that way teach them stuff at three teach them stuff at five teach them stuff at 10 teach them stuff at 15 and then hopefully 18 20 around there they're out and they're making their way in the world you're not going to make your way in the world in your bedroom that you grew up in, for the most part. There may be a few computer geeks out there that might do it, but, <laughs> but we're talking about well-rounded, well-balanced life. <laughs> Young adults, seriously, guys, get a job. Get, get a job. doesn't matter what it is. It might not be. Everyone wants to start at the top these days. I, I, I talk to so many business people, and they're just so frustrated. They are tearing their hair out. I'm sure Sam could relate, you know, 
as a hairdresser, people want to come in. They don't want to sweep hair off the floor. They want to start cutting, drying, you know, colouring, everything else. They want to start there. They're just too good to sweep hair off the floor or too good to clean up after or too good to whatever. And it's the same in any business person I speak to. That's the biggest problem today. People come in, they do the bare minimum, they do it with a bad attitude, and then they leave at a moment's notice when, they, when it gets too much. If we in this room, young people in this room, would, would get that, you would never ever have to worry about job security for the rest of your life. If you just do some things well, do them consistently. Move out. Seriously, look to get out of home. Don't suck and bludge off your parents Forever? Now, I understand that some things have happened in our society, and I think a lot of those things are greed-driven. The way that finances, the, the, the house of price has gone through the roof, it's greed-driven. Everyone's going to have 10 houses. You know, 30, 40 years ago, people had one house, and the prices of houses were low, but supply and demand, everyone's going to have 10 houses. Prices go, I feel for you young guys, and I know it's hard, but where you can, get out of your home, Learn to support yourselves. If you've got to rent with people, you know, maybe something we didn't have to do a little while ago, but make the most of it. Don't just, don't just keep bleeding your parents dry. Okay? We see that Ruth, as the younger person in this equation, took the initiative. She didn't lay back in bed until she heard Naomi finally say, oh, I guess I'd better go and get some grain. She supported Naomi. <laughs> Go over and above, as I mentioned that before already, what your employer expects. Be prepared, prepared to start with the menial task. I mentioned that. If you're unemployed, volunteer. You know, the Bible doesn't say if you're not employed, you won't work, you won't eat. So if you don't work, actually, it says if you won't work. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So it's, it's, an, it's an attitude thing, it's not a faculty thing, it's not a, it's not a climate thing, it's not a job climate thing. It's not like the you know, 10% unemployment, 20% unemployment, I can't get a job. It's like, no, if a man will not work, if there is the opportunity to do something and he doesn't do it, he shall not eat. That's the biblical principle here. So you can be unemployed, you can be getting a benefit from the government, but it doesn't mean that you cannot work. You know, one of the things that is, um, that is going to be key to our society going forward in the next little while, it's got to be on the back of volunteers. Because we're gonna, we can't just keep doing what we're doing forever. You know, psychologists cost too much. Um, counselors, even cleaning costs too much these days. You know, just the, the price of things are going up in our society because, again, people have got to afford those expensive houses. And so let's be a part of the answer rather than a part of the problem. Let's not continue to bleed the society, but let's... let's contribute let's give back you know the people in this church the young people in this church are eminently employable many of them have done more by the age of their 15 than some people are doing by the age of their 25 or 30 just because of their volunteering experience they have they know how to deal with they're going to have no problems when they have children of their own because they've been looking after other people's kids since they were five or ten or whatever and helping in that environment some of them you know they're going to go to a cafe i think of caleb over here Saw him working the other night at Baker's Delight. It's not because his dad works for Baker's Delight. It's because of his attitude. It's because of, because of it, you've seen him out here. He makes awesome coffee. He does it with a great attitude. Mate, this, he's never going to be unemployed. 
And if he, if he is for whatever, it'll be only a very, very short time. And again, I just think this is an opportunity that every person in this, in this place has. And we get it week in, week out. And we get teaching, we get encouragement on how to live life well. And you know, the standard outside, generally speaking, is so low, you don't even have to be a superstar to look good these days. <clears throat> if you're unemployed, continue to look for work. Be reliable in what you do do. You know, if you offer your service and be volunteer, turn up on time. Do all the stuff that you would do if you're employed. Do a good job. Do it with a good attitude. Because that's the key to employment. I believe that Ruth, when she was, the way that she worked, she was setting herself up for a job. If she, if she didn't marry the guy, she would have probably become supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of her attitude impressed people. The way she worked impressed people. She got people's eye with what she did and the way she did it. <clears throat> if you're unable to work... And there are some people that are just unable to work because physically or uh, intellectually or whatever, unable to work. Please, at very least, be thankful for what you've got. Because a welfare mentality is an attitude. It's a the world owes me sort of attitude. and it, 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 It's like if things don't go my way, I get a bad attitude about it and I let everyone... Just be thankful for what you've got. You're living in the most blessed country in the world at the most blessed time in the world. You know, many people in our society today who rant and rail and we don't get this, we don't get that, they would have been killed at birth. They would have died at birth, if not killed, but just because of the, the severity of some of the issues they were dealing with. I say that with compassion, really, trying to. It's just, it's just a reality. The world is and has been a, a cruel and a harsh place. And it's by the grace of God, and it's on the back of a Christian worldview, that we are living beyond ourselves. Like I said, it's been, it's been bastardised. It's it's the welfare system is an aberration of what a Christian worldview would bring into society. Look to volunteer in what you can do. You know, maybe you can't do anything physically, but maybe you could be the biggest encourager in the church. Maybe you could just ring someone and say, G'day, just thinking of you. I really appreciate the fact you come and said hi to me the other day. Or what. Just, just things you can do. There are things that any person can do and just be a source of encouragement. Don't focus on what you can't do. But focus on what you can do, and I think we can at least be appreciative and we can be friendly. And that in itself is a blessing, and it's rare in this day and age. Like I said, I love the fact that Ruth, as the younger person, took the initiative and didn't just wait for Naomi to do it, but she had a work ethic. She didn't wait for someone else to come and solve her problems. She got out there and did it. That's my first point. The second point (coughs) is really quick. (coughs) So is the third one. Okay, five minutes, I reckon we can do it. All right, Ruth made the most of her opportunities. Ruth 2 verse 17, it says, Then she threshed the barley she had gathered. It amounted about an FR, which is about 20 kilograms. You think about a 20 kilogram bag of rice, what, that, that's pretty big, pretty heavy. That's what she got. She carried it back to town and to her mother-in-law. She saw how much she gathered. Basically, make hay while the sun shines. Make the most of your opportunity. She gleaned an incredible amount of, of grain in a relatively short time because of her work ethic, but also because she stayed on task. She could have got what she would normally expect to get in a day, headed home at 11 o'clock, took the afternoon off, but she didn't. There was an opportunity to make more. There was an opportunity to set herself up for tomorrow and the day after, and probably about three weeks or so, if you're looking at 20 kilos of grain. Um, And so she took that opportunity. She made the most of it. Didn't knock off early. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5 says, He who gathers in... In crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. 
Thomas Edison said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 13 says, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. Or I'll be murdered in the streets. Or it's too hot, it's too cold. Always excuses. I made up my own proverb this morning. It's this. You can't keep a good man down, but a lazy man will drown in his own excuses. What do you reckon? It's good, eh? You know, when we were growing up, Dad demonstrated wonderfully the principle of making the most or taking your opportunities. He was a small business owner, and when there was plenty of work, he and Tone, when Tone was his apprentice and just after, worked hard. They, they, they really worked hard when the opportunity was there to work hard. But sometimes the opportunity wasn't there to work hard because it was a, a quiet period. And I love the fact that Dad took the opportunity then to invest in his family. And so many of the trips to the beach or perhaps some of the short holidays that we had were on the basis of Dad recognising, I'm usually busy, it's usually hard to get holidays, I'm going to take this opportunity, I'm going to make the most of it. And I think you know, part of who, who we are as boys, Tony, myself and Baz, is a result of Dad taking those opportunities to invest in his family. Okay, so I'm talking about taking opportunities that are in line with your life's purpose, in line with your ultimate goals in life, not just every opportunity to get more work. Again, do you think our society could be a little bit better if there were more people working less hours or a few people taking all the overtime they can possibly get? Now, I know that our standard of living might drop a little bit, but I'm just saying, if we're thinking beyond ourselves, we're thinking about society as a whole. Now, most people don't need more hours at work because their family, if you ask them, would say, we don't see dad or we don't see mum enough or whatever, and we've got all this stuff, but we miss our parents. Okay, so take the opportunity to work hard when it's there, but it's not just, I don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not just saying it's all about work. I'm saying it's about doing those things, investing in those things that are really important in life. Take the opportunities to do those things. What's your present season of opportunity? Think about it and make good choices accordingly. And thirdly, Ruth fulfilled her good intentions. Ruth chapter 2 verse 18 part B, it says, Ruth also bought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten her fill. You may remember back that uh, Boaz invited her to lunch. Ruth ate all that she wanted. There was some left over. She took it so she could take it home later. And I just love the fact that she worked for the rest of the day and she probably got hungry again. But at lunchtime in her heart of heart, she said, no, this, this, this morsel is from Naomi. And so she kept it for the rest of the day. And when she got home at the end of the day, she was able to give Naomi what she was actually intended to give. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have done that. <laughs> I mean, I might have had good intentions. This morsel is for Sally Ann or this or whatever. And I might have eaten it at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you might have too. Because so many good intentions in our lives don't get fulfilled, do they? Good intentions in and of themselves are meaningless. A good intention does not feed. It does not help. It does not comfort. It's a fulfilled good intention that does that. It's the phone call you actually make to the person that you're thinking about that blesses them. It's the food parcel you actually take around to somebody's house that feeds them. It's the help you actually give someone to tidy up their yard that helps them, etc. There's all these things that we can do. It's the deed we actually do that helps people. And so let's not be one of those people who say, I was going to, I was going to. I mean, I've been guilty of it, and I'm sure you have at times where it has been, I was going to, I was going to. 
You know, how many times you're driving in the car, someone comes into your mind and you think, yeah, I'll give that person a call or I'll drop in and see them on the way home and it comes and it goes. But often those little inklings, those, those inclinations are the Holy Spirit speaking to you, wanting to get your attention, wanting to work in partnership with you for his purposes. And so let's not be a people who just hear those things, dismiss them and move on with our life, but let's be those people who ask God to help us to recognize when he's speaking to us and to help us not to forget them. And let's use our iPhones and our whatever phones we've got and our iPads and our to make notes, our diaries, and to, to fulfill those things. Let's not be people I was going to... Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We can be part of that. Someone at home, no one ever rings me. Heart sick. Just wish someone would give me a call. Holy Spirit says, you're the person today to give that person a call. And we do it, and it's a longing fulfilled. It's a tree of life to somebody. If we just ignore it, hope deferred continues to make the heart sick. Parable of the two sons. It's not about what we say we're going to do. It's about who actually does the work. Matthew chapter 21. Been talking about work and welfare. I've highlighted a few things which I hope we can assimilate into our lives if we're not already there. But let's not have a welfare mentality. But let's adopt a healthy work ethic. Let's understand that, you know, God is good. And there are many things that come our way. But it's not because we are owed them. It's because God is good and we should be appreciative of what we get. Let's make the most of our opportunities and let's carry out our good intentions. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.